Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good, good morning. It is Thursday, the 28th of July, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. If you've never done so, let me encourage you to download the Faith Radio app so that you can have access not only to this program, but all of the other great programs featured at MyFaithRadio.com. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Carmen LaBurge, and I have just posted that cool QR code thing on my Twitter feed. So all you have to do is scan that with your phone and you would be able to download the app. So there you go. Maybe you're already listening, streaming at MyFaithRadio.com or you're listening one of our uh, via one of our um, great, ever-increasing number of terrestrial radio signals. Good morning, good morning, good morning, wherever you are, whatever you're up to. Uh, we are a people of the Word, and so we are going to find ourselves in the Word of God today. The Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Isaiah chapter 40, the walk-off verse of that chapter, which is verse 31. You say, how do I get the Growing Your Faith verse of the day? Well, you go to MyFaithRadio.com and you uh, sign up to receive it every single morning in your inbox. So uh, Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Well, so anytime a verse starts with a conjunction, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Yeah, I know. You you started singing it too. So I just felt like, you know, schoolhouse rock. Man, they plant those things deep in our little, deep in our little minds when we're kids. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 40, this is the walk-off verse, but it's a verse that begins with the word but, which happens to be a coordinating conjunction for uh, those of us who are doing our back-to-school get ready with your parts of speech. The word but is a coordinating conjunction, and it indicates that uh, there's a comparison being made, juxtaposing one thing to another, right? So in order to understand the verse, you have to know what precedes it. In order to understand, you know, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. I mean, you know, what's the but there for? Who, what, what comes before this? What's the context? So the context of verse 31 is the prior verse, verse 30, and obviously the chapter, Isaiah 40. So... Here we go. The prior verse. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So the difference is, the difference is where you put your hope, where you put your trust, who you're relying upon for your strength and the renewal of it. It's not going to be your youthfulness. It's not going to be your physicality. It is going to be your faith. It's going to be your trust and your hope in the Lord. So what is Isaiah 40 all about? What's the context of these two final verses, verses 30 and 31? What's this chapter about? Well, these two verses uh, occur, obviously, at the very end of Isaiah chapter 40, which is one of the most well-known chapters of the Bible. I encourage you to read it in its entirety today. Um, but there, uh, there is this repetitive um, 
feature at the end of Isaiah 40 in verses 18 to 20. To whom will you liken God? Verses 21 to 24. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Verses 25 to 27. To whom will you liken me? And then verses 28 to 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Which, of course, are good questions for each of us to consider. Um, To whom are we tempted to liken God? What are the images of God that we have in our minds that are inaccurate, that do not align with the reality of who God is? And have we not known? Have we not heard? Have we not read? Has it not been told to us over and over and over and over and over again? Has God not revealed himself? Um, What's going on in Isaiah chapter 40 is all about the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not mounted up as on eagle's wings to declare the goodness of God to others? Yes, other people grow weary in doing so. But you, you who hope in the Lord, your strength to do so will be renewed. You know these passages um, from Isaiah chapter 40, even if you don't know that's where they come from. So let me encourage you to read chapter 40 in its entirety. Um, Verse 6 says this, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But what? But what? The word of the Lord stands forever. We're going to be people who are standing on the word of God today. We're going to be broadcasting it far and wide. And I hope that you will be renewed in your strength to encourage others in it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Our friend Ben Johnson joins us next. My right, a right given by God to live Our friend Ben Johnson is back. You can follow him on Twitter. He's the rights writer. You can also find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. All right. So a couple of years ago, the prime minister of New Zealand, um, you know, stood up and said, is recorded as having said, and it's it's sort of making the rounds again on the internet. We will continue to be your single source of truth. Unless you hear it from us, it is not the truth. Now, to be fair in context, because context matters, um, it was the beginning of the pandemic, and she was trying to um, assert some, not only authority, but I think create a place where people might feel safe in terms of trusting their government to lead them into the truth. But that actually does provoke the conversation about truth. What is the truth and who do we trust to tell us the truth? Well, it certainly does. And, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, she's saying we will be your single source of truth if you don't hear it yeah, from us. I, do not I feel believe like it. Ben, I feel like, Ben, she missed my announcement a number of years ago that I would be the arbiter of truth. Yes. Uh, and and uh, everyone essentially has made this uh, this declaration for themselves <laughs> at one point or another, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and uh, you know following the voice of <laughs> that they might have mm-hmm. heard in a, in a, from a certain speaking animal. So uh, on the other hand, the Bible tells us Proverbs three, five, and six: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all their ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So that's that's the the Christian understanding, of course. But uh, for the government to make this kind of assertion, uh, as you say, this this was during the very beginning uh, of the outbreak. 
And uh, as we were discussing just last week, the new book, the book, the new book by Deborah Burks, I should say, easy for me to trip over those uh, conflation of words, uh, is acknowledged that uh, there were many statements that were made in those days and uh, in in the days following that were based on assertion uh, in order to make a certain kind of uh, reassurance to uh, to assure people that they are in fact the experts that as it turns out were not so certain uh, they weren't certain about uh, and in fact they they uh, were making it sometimes to government officials that they were not certain about so when we talk to a government official even if they are a so-called expert in their field or someone who uh, is acknowledged by everyone as an expert in their field they might be wrong on the other hand epistemologically we know without any doubt our source of truth our source of knowledge is the one who is the source of all truth. He is truth himself. And uh, because of the fact that he is the creator of all, he knows the inner workings of all. He alone knows the interrelationship of all things throughout all space, time, and uh, throughout every aspect and order of creation. And therefore, he knows what's best for us and what uh, factors work together for our good and the good and the salvation of all those around us, according to Romans 8.28. So for um, Randy and Eddie walking this morning, um, you used a big word. I mean, they might not already know it, but maybe there's uh, two other people walking right now listening, and they looked at each other when you said epistemological, and they're like, what? Is he Episcopalian? What is he talking about? What, what is epistemological? <laughs> so it's the way we know what we know. It's the things that we know and the way that we know what we know. Um, and so this conversation about the truth is dependent upon what we receive in terms of our sources of information. I receive, I receive the Bible um, as the infallible Word of God. I receive it as the Word of God. I acknowledge that God is and that God has spoken. But other people, Ben, do not um, do not take God at His word. They don't believe in His existence, and they certainly do not believe that He has communicated through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. So can you talk a little bit about um, what happens when we rely on, like, I'm going to rely on the Bible as infallible and God as the ultimate teller of truth, um, but other people are going to rely on other sources. And that's where this, this we, we reach this conflict, um, not only interpersonally, but in the culture. Absolutely. And just to be absolutely clear, I'm, I'm not Episcopalian, I'm just pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> he just has a big vocabulary. He's a vocabularyist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, well, my, my hero was William F. Buckley Jr., if it says anything. But uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, yeah, what it means for us, when we take God at his word versus uh, other sources of truth, uh, essentially it's, it's relying on different experts, isn't it? Uh, and mm-hmm. in some cases, we're relying on, we're relying on human expertise that uh, it, it involves maybe a very small sector of all time and creation. And those who do their job well, you know, we can we can give them the honor that is due to them. Uh, you know, the scriptures talk about uh, giving the doctor his due and so on, giving other people uh, the praise that their actions and their intentions and study of even secular topics deserve. If someone uh, does a good job in their own area, which God has gifted them with, and they should give God the glory for whatever they, it is that they've discovered. But that is just a reflection of all of God's creation as he's created it. On the other hand, the Bible tells us that there are laws embedded in all of creation, that there are moral laws that rule the universe and particularly our interrelationships with one another, and that if we follow those laws through Christ, uh, we will have 
greater success, that we will have better relationships, and that we will be more fit, especially not so much for this world, but for the world which is to come, which is the greatest and truest reality. So even if we're following the very best experts, the best expertise changes over time. The best expertise is limited, but God has unlimited, complete and, uh, and utter omniscience over all things. And those principles can be expanded and applied to every area of knowledge, of every area of our interrelationships, and those will always hold true. Uh, whatever it is that he says, we can take it to the bank. All right, Ben Johnson and I will be back in just a moment. What what would you do if you could actually like go to college, but know that you were going to graduate with a trade and a skill, a very, very uh, inexpensive college education that was also going to guarantee um, you you good employment in a um, in a trade? Yeah, we're going to have that conversation up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. We need to be All right, Lori's listening, and she wants to be a mechanic, so she's super excited about the possibility of uh, going to a school that's only going to cost $15,000 a year, including housing, where students are going to get paid a salary as they train, and that they will graduate with the financial freedom to start their families and be productive members of their faith communities. This is um, ingenious. It meets the need of a culture where... uh, Another listener has said, I can't get an electrician in my community. Um, uh, we know that these are trades in very, very high demand. And so Ben Johnson is going to tell us what's going on with this really creative, brand new uh, college in, um, in Ohio. Well, it certainly is. And as you mentioned, the best part is it's in Ohio. So uh, wonderful state. <laughs> it's good I, for you. I, well, I, I can't say enough good things about this state. I've got to say that. It's in Steubenville, Ohio, to be specific, and and it is uh, a uh, faith-organized and uh, faith-aligned school, the uh, College of St. Joseph the Worker. Uh, It's Roman Catholic, but it's it's unique in this sense. Uh, It's a six-year program where you get a bachelor's as well. So you get a bachelor's degree, but then you've got a a three-year track. You get a bachelor's in three years, and then you get a certificate of craftsmanship in a certain skilled trade. As you mentioned, $15,000 a year. Uh, you'll get a salary during this time. $15,000 a year is uh, much less than tuition alone in so many of these institutions today. And you end up with uh, a degree that uh, the vast majority of uh, people end up uh, not using when they go into uh, into the world of work. So uh, first of all, you begin with what's known as a gap year. Uh, so they the very beginning, you spend your year learning the different trades that they offer skills in. So it's a year of discernment instead of simply throwing you out, saying you should have made your decision before you get here, like college does. 
where you where you uh, are supposed to have a declared major and so on. They show you what it is that you'll be doing. They show you the different skills. And then after you've participated in the job, then you get to decide if you want to do it. Uh, and then you get your bachelor's and then you have, are, are trained within one of these so that you certainly have the intellectual background, but also the saleable skills that if you uh, if you don't use the bachelor's, you've got a hard skill. As you say, it's so hard to get a skilled tradesman uh, who is who is uh, knowledgeable, but then also uh, who who has an ethic, a Christian ethic in the way that they apply it. And uh, the best part to me is the uh, the spirit that went behind this. One of the uh, individuals who helped uh, found this uh, this college, who's now the uh, vice president of finance, told the Washington Examiner, this is a quote, it's profoundly hypocritical for a, coll- uh, for a college, a Catholic college, to promote family life and tell students the family is the basis of culture that's uh, the path to restoration, and then set them out on a financial path that tends them away from that beautiful truth that they teach. So instead of coming out with tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of college loans that potentially will be forgiven by our president someday, and we all end up having to bear, you come out with uh, very little and an saleable skill on top of it, a solid all-around foundation, and possibly become a carpenter like our Lord. I I love it. I love this idea. Um, I hope that there are people listening from other colleges and universities across the country um, and maybe you look around at the resources that you have and you say to yourself, we ought to have a program like this. We ought to be um, aligning with some kind of tradespeople in our community. Um, in this case, there's a entre- local entrepreneur and a contractor um, and then a um, uh, a few other uh, Catholic men in this case. So, you know, if you're saying to yourself, I don't like that Carmen and Ben keep saying that this is a Catholic effort. Okay, fine. Go start an evangelical effort of the same kind. Um, this is actually not hard to do. We know that there is a worker shortage in terms of um, skilled trades across the country. We also know the importance of instilling honor and virtue in pro- in professions and professionals. Um, and yeah, as Ben just pointed out, dates back to, uh, you know, Jesus himself, who was in fact a carpenter. So what is it going to look like? What might it look like in your own community through whatever um, institutional uh, educational school you might have some affiliation with? Like, this is a great idea. So let's, first of all, fan the flame of what they're doing, and then let's see if we can't ignite and spark it elsewhere. Um, If you're looking for the link, you can find it in my show notes today, which are always posted along with the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. Encourage you to download the Faith Radio app, which is obviously the best way every single day um, to get that uh, information and access to it. Um, ben, I want to give you a couple of minutes here to talk with us about the, and I would love to be able to put quotes around this or air quotes around it, Respect for Marriage Act, which is clearly a disrespect for Real Marriage Act. Um, but uh, as a as a sidebar to that, also the Right to Contraception Act. I know you have some thoughts on these. Yeah, thanks so much. You know, the uh, as you say, the, the I guess we'd have to say the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Uh, just to be very clear about what it does, the definition of marriage in the bill is that uh, every state has to recognize any arrangement that is uh, recognized as marriage in any other state uh, between two people. Uh, and when I read the original version of the uh, the uh, legislation, it didn't include the number two. 
So that gives you an idea either of their lack of expertise of marriage or how much they disrespect marriage. Uh, in in uh, the original legislation, it was not specified. But as it, as it goes forward now, that could be any two people, uh, any arrangement whatsoever, and every state would have to acknowledge that. Now, the real concern here uh, is that uh, they say this is codifying the Obergefell v. Hodges case in 2015, which uh, came up with uh, the so-called constitutional right to uh, same-sex marriage, found, finding that in the uh, U.S. Constitution. Now, this goes far beyond Obergefell, and in reality, what this is going to do is end up putting in hyperdrive the kinds of attacks that we've seen on people of faith who do not want to participate in those uh, same-sex relationships, whether it's Baronelle Stutzman, the florist who ended up losing her business in Washington, or Jack Phillips uh, in his cake uh, shop, which has been taken to court again and again by the same officials for the exact same issue. And those, I mean, there are dozens upon dozens of, uh, of these instances in which Christian businessmen, Christian businesswomen, uh, either end up dedicating all of their resources to defending their business or they lose their business because they can't afford to keep the court case going. So uh, we're going to see this go into hyperdrive as uh, this legislation moves forward, all for a case that I don't believe we probably have five Supreme Court justices who have any appetite to overturn in the first place. Yeah. So we're going to keep our eye on that. We're going to keep talking about it. And in the meantime, we're going to remind everyone uh, and one another what marriage really is, who defines it, and what it's all about. And so um, if you didn't hear my conversation with Dr. Slattery a couple of weeks ago, um, that's a really good one to go back and listen to in terms of what, what is marriage? Why did God create it? What does it point to um, as, the, as we live in a culture that seeks to constantly redefine it? Ben, as always, thank you so much. We look forward to catching up with you again next week. Thank you. All the best and God bless. Likewise. That's Ben Johnson. You can find him at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Frequently um, on Breakpoint with John Stone Street, you have been hearing reference to a book called Tearing Us Apart, um, how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. And so we were able to capture a conversation with Dr. Ryan T. Anderson, one of the co-authors of Tearing Us Apart. And so you're going to hear that audio in just a minute. And let me um, let me remind you of this in, in, in the context of this conversation. Um, God... Uh, God wants us not only to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might um, and to remember the words that he has commanded us, but he wants us to actually have those words on our heart, teach them diligently to our children, talk about them when we sit down and when we walk around and when we rise up, bind them as a sign on our hand, or that means to carry them around with you. Um, Put them on the frontals of your eyes, which means view everything through the lens of God's word and God's commands. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates, which means that we'll be reminded of them every time we enter or leave. And so will everyone else, because the place where we live will be marked by the word of God. All of those are words from the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. And, and I'm reminded that God is insistent that his people 
keep his word in front of us all the time because we are forgetful. Because we are forgetful. And when we forget, our cultural fabric wears thin. And eventually, it tears apart. And what is tearing us apart in our culture? Well, one of those things is abortion. So how does abortion harm everything and solve nothing? That conversation up next with Dr. Ryan Anderson. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, joining us today, Ryan T. Anderson. He's the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center in D.C. He's a great follow on Twitter at Ryan T. And Ryan, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Happy to be with you. Thanks for having me. So dinner at your house last night looked really great. I'm following you on Twitter and it looks like spaghetti squash from the garden topped with meat sauce made with uh, your neighbor's uh, beef and then tomatoes and garlic also from your garden with a side of kale, blackberries and peaches for dessert. Man, you got a bumper crop. It looks it looks great. <laughs> yeah, my wife is um, a really an amazing farmer because we're we have six different species of livestock on the animal uh, on the farms, so six different types of animals. And then just a huge, you know, vegetable garden, um, a kitchen kind of garden, and then a um, an area with lots of uh, fruit trees and uh, and berry bushes. So um, she's really doing amazing work with the garden. I love it. It's so fantastic. And you have little people. So I want to, uh, you know, want to celebrate. <laughs> we want to celebrate life today. Um, and we want to celebrate, you know, the the call that we have generationally. Um, not only to bear children, but to raise them. And so, uh, you know, we come we come to you today not only because you have this um, incredibly, you know, like rock solid moral approach to the conversation about life, but you also have experience as a dad. And so, you know, this is real. Let's talk today about your new book, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Why do we need this book on this topic at this time? Sure. Um, the reason we set out, my co-author Alexandra uh, DeSanctis and I set out to write this book was that uh, we had a pretty good sense uh, a, about a year ago that the Supreme Court was finally going to admit it got it wrong in Roe v. Wade, that the Supreme Court in the Dobbs decision was going to overturn Roe, overturn Casey. And that's not the end of the pro-life movement. That's really the beginning of a new phase for the pro-life movement, because now uh, we have the ability to pass laws that protect unborn babies and their mothers from the lethal violence of abortion, but that means we need to persuade our neighbors. Uh, we're in a new phase of the pro-life movement in which we need to persuade our neighbors about the truth, about the truth of the unborn child in the womb, about the truth of the dignity of the mother, that abortion is not actually in her best interest. And what Alexandra and I set out to do was to compile all of the best arguments um, we, we could find in one place to equip readers to then uh, bear witness to the truth um, on the abortion question. So because we carry um, Breakpoint from the Colson Center here during our show every single day, folks have gotten some um, a few excerpts and tidbits from tearing us apart because John Stone Street has talked about it so frequently. Um, but I would love for you, for people maybe who have missed those um, missed those Breakpoint episodes um, and they really they really don't know who abortion harms. Could you talk with us about that? Who does abortion harm? Sure. I mean, so it more or less um, 
harms everyone that it touches. Uh, what we do in the book is we go chapter by chapter uh, through the people who it harms. First, it harms the unborn baby uh, because it kills the unborn baby. Uh, second, it harms uh, women. Uh, it harms um, all women. And, and I'll go through this in a couple of stages. I mean, first, there are physical uh, consequences to abortion uh, for women who have had abortions. There are physical consequences, immediate and long-term. Uh, second, there are psychological and emotional consequences to abortion, both immediate and long-term. And then third, there are cultural consequences uh, to abortion that not only impact women who have had abortions, but that impact all women. Uh, because abortion um, is predicated, it's, it's built upon a society that takes the male way of being human as normal, and the female way of being human as somehow a defective version of the male. And therefore, for women to be equal to men, they need to uh, sterilize their bodies and they need to kill their own children, right? So, so abortion is predicated on a false sense of equality that takes um, not um, uh, both ways of being human equally and therefore crafts our laws and our policies, our economics, our higher education around the reality of female embodiment. But it takes the male way of being human as the default and then tells women they need to make themselves more like men. So that's only the second chapter. Then we look at how third chapter abortion particularly harms people who are already at the margins of society. Um, so we look at the uh, statistics on how there is an elevated rate of abortion um, for black babies. Uh, some of this flows from the eugenic roots of abortion and Planned Parenthood. Uh, you know, the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, uh, very clear that there was a eugenicist push with abortion. Uh, second, um, baby girls are targeted uh, for lethal discrimination in the womb. And there are millions of missing girls all across the globe because of sex selective abortion. And then finally, um, people with disabilities are lethally discriminated against in the womb. And this is where you see the Orwelling headlines where they say something like Iceland eradicates Down syndrome. They didn't actually find a cure for Down syndrome. What they've done is they've aborted every unborn baby diagnosed in the womb with Down syndrome. Uh, then chapter four, we look at how abortion has harmed the medical field. Uh, chapter five, how it's harmed our law. Chapter six, how it's harmed our politics. Chapter seven, how it has harmed our culture. Uh, and so the book really is meant to be comprehensive. It's really meant um, to, to empower readers to see the totality of how abortion has harmed everything. It solved nothing. Abortion. Um, it is tearing us apart how abortion harms everything and solves nothing. We're going to continue our conversation with the co-author, Ryan T. Anderson, in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Ryan Anderson, you can find him um, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. That's eppc.org, eppc.org, or you can find him on Twitter, Ryan T. And 
Um, Ryan, when you walk through all of the um, ways in which abortion harms us, the baby, women, people who are already marginalized, um, how it has harmed us across medicine and law and politics and how it harms us as a culture. Um, I think that, you know, there's no question that abortion is tearing us apart. I do appreciate that you guys lay out for us that ending abortion is going to require this both and approach. Could you talk with us about sort of what's included in a both and approach versus an either or approach? Sure thing. I mean, so so what you frequently hear from, um, you know, certain um, uh, particularly activists um, on the left. Right. So they're not actually pro-life, but they're trying to divide the pro-life movement. Uh, they'll pose a series of either ors where the pro-life response is actually both and. Uh, so, for example, you know, should it be law or should it be culture? And the proper response is both law and culture. Pro-lifers need to work in both fields. We need to reform our culture and we need to reform our law. We need cultural supports uh, for women to choose life and we need legal protections, right? So it's a both and. Uh, another false dichotomy, should it be at the state level or the federal level? It's going to be both at the state level and at the federal level. A lot of our immediate progress is going to be made at the state level um, because there are state legislatures right now where we can pass good pro-life laws. But ultimately, we can't be a country that's half divided, half free, half slave, nor half pro-life, half pro-choice. A house divided cannot stand. So eventually we're going to need federal legislation, federal protections, perhaps uh, at the constitutional level, perhaps at the statutory level. So both state and federal. Um, Should we focus on the supply of abortion or the demand for abortion? And again, it needs to be both and the supply of abortion, the abortionists, Planned Parenthood. Uh, we need to address that. But then the demand for abortion. Why do women think they need abortion? No one actually needs abortion, but why do they think they need abortion? What are the social pressures, the economic pressures, the cultural pressures? We need to address those as well. And then the last um, uh, question would be, you know, do, do you focus on prohibiting abortion or do you focus on supporting mothers? And it's both and, right? We both want to... Uh, prohibit lethal violence in the womb, and we want to provide the supports um, that mothers need. And and pro-life movements are already doing both. So Texas, for example, the the, the heartbeat bill, for over a year now, Texas has prohibited abortion after six weeks, after a heartbeat could be detected. And the media spent lots of time focusing on this. The media spent no attention on what Texas also did was allocate $100 million to the Texas Alternatives to Abortion Program, right? So Texas is putting money where its mouth is, and it's providing funding to help women find alternatives to abortion. The pro-life movement at its best has always been both and, both state and federal, both law and culture, both protecting the unborn baby and supporting the mother to choose life. And moving forward, we just need to keep doing this. Um, but we just need to do even more of it, right? We we need to take it up a notch now that Roe is out of the way. Ryan, I feel like one of the things that um, that you're doing in this book uh, is not only telling the truth, but telling the whole truth and then telling nothing but the truth. Um, and I feel like often what happens is people are taking one little bit of something and then they're saying this is the whole story this is the whole story and i really appreciate that um that you guys have taken the whole story and all of its complexity and walked around in all of it fearing none of it and so i just you know wanted to voice my appreciation for that um help us who you know those of us who do not live in let's say new york illinois and california (laughs) help help us reach them 
Sure. I mean, I think the starting point there is really going to be the second chapter of the book about how um, abortion is predicated on a false understanding of equality. Um, none of us want to live in a society that tells our daughters that in order to be equal to men, you need to fundamentally change what is most distinctively uh, feminine, most distinctively female, most distinctive to your identity as a woman, um, which is your capacity to bear new life inside of your own body. Um, we do not need to sacrifice um, the bodies of women or the bodies of their unborn children in order to achieve equality. Uh, and that the, the original feminists, the original kind of women's rights activists saw abortion precisely for what it was, right? It was a way of undermining female dignity. It was a way of trying to make women more like men. And it was a way to allow men to use women for sexual gratification without um, uh, fulfilling any duties, any obligations as a husband or as a father. Um, so I think one place to start is really by stressing that women deserve better than abortion. Um, abortion is, is, is not um, uh, 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 the, the, the price of equality. There are better ways of achieving equality that would actually take female embodiment seriously. And then I think the second place to start um, is to point out how for the past 49 and a half years since Roe, um, abortion has simply torn apart not just the bodies of unborn children, but the body politic. Um, mm -hmm. The Roe and the Casey decision prevented us from having these sorts of conversations, from trying to craft um, you know, reasonable compromises as starting points, not as finishing points. I mean, I think you know, incrementalism has to be at the service of the abolition of abortion, but we couldn't even do the incrementalist um, work under the Roe and Casey regime. Talk with us about the um, the concept or maybe even the fallacy uh, of settled law. Like people keep using this idea that, you know, this was settled. This was settled. This was and it clearly was not settled for a whole lot of us. It, it, it was never settled because it was it was wrongly decided. Uh, and I and I don't think we should ever accept the idea that because the Supreme Court says something that then settles the matter. Uh, the Supreme Court gets cases wrong all throughout American history, the Supreme Court has gotten cases wrong. Um, you know, the, the 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 Alito opinion does a great job in just, you know, highlighting how many prior cases the Supreme Court got wrong and how many of our most cherished Supreme Court decisions are actually when the Supreme Court corrected a prior mistake. Uh, and so you can think of Brown v. Board of Education as correcting the prior mistake in the Supreme Court of Plessy v. Ferguson. Um, and so it's not settled law when the Supreme Court's gotten a case wrong. What matters is what the Constitution actually says, what the Constitution actually requires. And the um, United States Constitution does not protect a right to kill an unborn child in the womb, right? That's not settled law. And it was never accepted by the American people. That's why we've had the March for Life every year ever since Roe was wrongly decided, right? The American people never accepted Roe as settled law. Uh, what Dobbs has done is actually returned us um, to where we, we should be, whereas we can at least now debate this question, we can then work to provide protections to every child in the womb. Ryan, um, you're probably more familiar with being like walked out on in terms of public addresses than virtually anybody else I know. So I'm going to ask you this question because I see this like rising trend of people walking out um, on a speaker 
even when the topic is not specifically pro-life related, but they know that the speaker holds a pro-life position. Can you talk with us about the um, the heat related to this topic in terms of public discourse and maybe how you have responded in the past when people get up and walk out or people heckle you um, from a crowd? Sure. I mean, look, I, I think this is a sign of both fragility and arrogance um, on the part of those who are walking out. Right? I mean, fr- fragility in the sense that, um, you know, they're, they're so fragile in their opinions and in their self-identity that they can't even hear an opposing viewpoint. But then also, you know, arrogance that, you know, they are so self-confident in what they believe, they're unwilling to even consider an opposing viewpoint and they're going to try to shut things down you know at least you know just just walking out doesn't disrupt it's not like they're shouting down the speaker it's not like they're trying to cancel the speaker but in many cases you, you not just get the, the walkout you actually get the shout down and the attempt to cancel um the speaker uh i, I think what we should do as pro-lifers is always um speak the truth um in charity right mm-hmm. and we have to do both of those things we need we need we can't be bomb throwers you know our goal can't be um, to just, you know, stir up a crowd and to kind of um, get people worked up. Our goal should be to be persuasive, to bear witness to the truth. And that means what we say needs to be true, but we also need to say it in a way that's accessible, a way that's understandable, a way that's ultimately persuasive, because that's what we're that's what we're trying to do. I, I, I'm in the convert making business, right? I'm trying to mm-hmm. win converts to the pro-life cause. And I think that's important for all of us um, who are doing this work, that at the end of the day, what we need to do is take people who are currently pro-choice or currently they haven't made up their mind or currently they're ambivalent, and we need to move them to um, uh, understand the reality of abortion and the harms that abortion causes to everyone. The book is Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Uh, You can find Dr. Ryan T. Anderson at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, eppc.org. You can also find him on Facebook and on Twitter. On Twitter, he is a great follow, Ryan T. And, and you can see his vegetables as well. Because really, your garden is, yeah. How does your garden grow? (laughs) It's just extraordinary. Um, Hey, thank you so much for being winsome. Um, Thank you. Um, We we just celebrate your mind and we celebrate where God has you and how he's using you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll uh, we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, I've preserved a little time for us here at the end of the hour because I want to read Isaiah 40 in um, in its totality. We started off talking about the verse of the day, Isaiah 40, verse 31, which is the last verse. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength or renew their strength, and they will soar high on wings like eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. And I'm concerned that we imagine that that is a promise of God to every weary person in every time and place. And I want us to recognize that context matters. And I want to take God at his word. And I want to take God's word seriously. And that means we need to understand what God has actually said, not what we hope or imagine God has said about a particular 
um, declaration. So Isaiah 40 verse 31 comes at the end of a chapter. And so let's read that chapter in its entirety and see if we can understand um, when is it and who is it who is going to find new strength and soar on eagle's wings and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. By the way, uh, spoiler alert, it's people who are advancing the gospel. It's people who are um, declaring the good news um, of God's grace. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. For the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. So who will bring good news to Zion? Go up on a high mountain. Who will bring good news to Jerusalem? Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has the breath of his hand by the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord in his counsel? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught God knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. Regarded as dust on the scales, he weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. With with whom, then, will you compare God? To what image would you liken him? For as for an idol, a metal worker casts it, a goldsmith lays on it gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that's not going to rot, and they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that's not going to fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the very beginning? Have you not understood since the earth, since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circles of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, um, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And like a whirlwind, they're swept away like chaff. That's the context, my friends, of God declaring um, who's going to be lifted up. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.